Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, hello, hello. This is Owen Jones. Welcome to the podcast. Clive Lewis. Now, he's an old pal of mine. He's also the Labour MP for Norwich South. Uh, he's very much on the party's left. But he's of a left which is very free-thinking, if you like. And I want to talk to him, and this was a few weeks ago, that's still very relevant, about the state of the Labour left, about the state of the Labour Party, about Jamie Corbyn, uh, and about... British politics, about a progressive alliance, that's his big thing by the way, about how we get rid of the Tories, about electoral reform. We talk about a lot of stuff. Now, a bit of housekeeping to help us expand and challenge the right-wing media and to keep going. Please do support us on patreon.com forward slash owenjones84 or use the support function in the description. Please do give us five stars to help others listen and do subscribe. With all of that, listen to the dulcet tones of Clive Lewis. <laughs> Hi. Hello. How you doing? Hi, Owen and Keir. Rickman, that Keir's over there. You've missed, you've missed, you've got the one camera. Oh, that's Rickman. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, Keir still. all over the place. Oh, there we go. So, so you... these cats are like part of the, the ambience of the interview, I take. It, it, it seems that way. They're certainly keen to get involved, aren't they? I just shut the door and lock them outside. Can they? Can they survive? Can they survive outside? I mean, are they like cats no, that can not, go out? I mean, okay, look, this is the most champagne socialist thing, obviously, I've got to say. But they are Burmese cats, and the reason we got Burmese cats is because they're like dogs. Um, oh uh, yeah, but, they are. Yeah, I've met them. Yeah, you have, you have met them. Um, but they can't be, you can't let them outside because they have no survival skills. One's called Rickman after Alan Rickman, obviously. The other is after Keir, after Keir Hardy. But people keep going, have you named your cat after Keir Starmer? They're named after the same guy, the founder of the Labour Party. Do your history, people. Anyway, Clark, what you sound Clark, like then. You sound like Rick Mayle when you were from the uh, little bar. <laughs> I tell you that. I like Rick Mayle. Iconic. Uh, Clive, how's 2020 going then? Uh, it's a bit of a SHIT show, really, isn't it? To be honest, can I say that on your program? I'm not sure yeah, what the uh, demographic is. I don't think YouTube. It does penalise excessive swearing, but I don't yeah, think it's no. it's it's a shit show, basically. Oh, right, easy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. Where do we begin? Okay. Let's talk about one aspect of the SHIT SHOW situation. Um. A year ago, Jamie Corbyn was standing to be Labour Prime Minister. He's not actually mm. a Labour MP anymore. So what, what's your take on on how we got here and how we get out of that? So, what, happened to, what happened to the warm-up question? <laughs> I think it's a good one. It is a, it is a good one. It's just straight in. That's what I like about you. Straight in. In like Flynn. It's good. Um, what, do, what do I think about what the situation he finds himself in? Um, I think it's rotten, if I'm honest. Absolutely rotten. Um, 
Look, I'll be really honest with you. And I, and I've, in life, very often things are not black and white. We like them to, we like to think they are. We like to think the good guys are in white and the bad guys are in black. But the reality is it's shades of gray. And so I found myself in a situation where I, I was angry with Jeremy on the day of the EHRC report um, because I thought that was an opportunity to begin to put this behind us, um, to acknowledge institutional racism as a factor in as a fact inside the Labour Party, um, and to then make the day the event when you're reaching out to a big part of the Jewish community. I, I accept not everyone, but a big part of the Jewish community to say to them, we're trying to get our house in order. We're trying to acknowledge the fact that we have structural racism, including anti-Semitism in our party, which is what the HRC report was about. Um, this, is, this, is, this is your day, your week, to try to, end, you know, to, to make a beginning of rebuilding those bridges. And I think Jeremy's statement was at best a hostage to fortune, and that's being generous. Um, and it just, it blew open the whole thing, and it made it, and again, it made it about Jeremy, which I don't think, I don't think anyone, including Jeremy, uh, expected or wanted, but that was a result of what was said. And um, we now find ourselves in a situation where we have a party, which is, and a leader, which has talked about zero tolerance, and I've been really clear, I don't think in a tolerant party there is any role, any place for zero tolerance. You know, zero tolerance gives you no leeway. There's no scope for people to learn. You know, look, I don't want to see racists in our party. You might have gathered that. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to create a culture and environment where people don't feel that they can explore and, um, and speak freely without fear of being thrown out of the party. Uh, and look, clearly people who want to go about and uh, overtly be racist uh, or anti-Semitic, then there's no place for them and, and the disciplinary process will deal with them. But there are people who want to explore the issue of Israel-Palestine, will make mistakes on things and they should be educated. So there should be a real program of education in the party to explain to people what actual structural racism is and why some things are deemed as anti-Semitic or racist. And that isn't present uh, at the moment. So, you know, it's what zero tolerance does. It takes all of that out, takes all of that choice away, all that political choice away and ability to be able to show nuance. Um, and it becomes a black and white issue. And, and hence Keir suspending Jeremy from the party. Then, you know, whether I think that was right or wrong, the reality is Jeremy uh, had a disciplinary, came back, well, you know, they, they said what he said was out of order, but you can come back into the party given that you do certain things. And now it feels with the whip being taken away from him inside the Parliamentary Labour Party, he's at a double jeopardy. And whatever the intentions or the state intentions of the leadership are, the optics of this look really bad. Um, you can say I'm not going after Jeremy Corbyn, but that's, that's, that's what it looks like. Now, look, I personally feel that Jeremy needs to say something. Uh, about this. He has made a statement. Um, do I think it went far enough? Well, look, he needs to sort that out with Keir Starmer and the chief whip, because for my position, I just feel that we have far bigger things to be dealing with when you look at the state of this government. You know, tomorrow, I mean, 20, 50, no, 50 people are going to be deported to Jamaica off the back of the HRC um, uh, investigation into Windrush. You know, there's so much that we should be doing, focusing on, and yet we're being we're being, you know, torn to navel gaze inwardly. And, and I just don't think that's 
the right place for us to be. So I want to resolve this. I want Jeremy Corbyn to be able to be an, a Labour MP with some dignity. And I'd like us to be able to reach out to the Jewish community. There needs to be some middle ground. And there are going to be extremes on both sides. And they just need to be told to go get back in their boxes. Let's try and get Jeremy back in the party. And let's try and hold you know this government to account. But I think that's where the vast majority of people are. And yet it seems all we do is seem to be escalating this. And I don't think that's where the vast majority of members or the public who want to see an effective opposition want to see. I mean, I think what you said, I think, is where a lot of, as you said, a lot of Labour members are at. I mean, what do you think, though, about, I mean, just from the point of democracy, I suppose, the fact that the General Secretary, David Evans, has told parties they can't discuss his suspension, that they're ruled out of order. I mean, what do you think? You, you know what, I'm I'm one of those people who, if someone tells me not to do something, <laughs> come an awkward so-and-so, um, like many people um, in this country, in this party, you know, if you're told not to do something in terms of discuss something, debate something, you want to, you got to ask why, you know, that's not in our, it's not in our party, it, it shouldn't be in our party political culture to kind of dictate what people can think or talk about or say. And so, you know, look, I understand the uh, the issue here. I do understand it's, it's, it's a difficult situation, but to put down a blanket ban on people showing political solidarity with someone for whatever reason they think shouldn't be in this situation, um, it doesn't feel like a very liberal, uh, tolerant thing to do. Um, and it feels like a, a diktat. And I and I can see why that gets people's backs up because it gets mine up. Um, you know, either we believe in our membership and, and the and the democratic abilities and of our party and our and the political systems that we operate, the rule books that we use to have these debates and discussions in our parties. And we have, you know, we're grown ups. We should be able to discuss and debate this issue. Now, I understand if there's a disciplinary issue, sometimes you say, well, look, this is a disciplinary issue. We don't discuss it. But there are wider political implications here. And it feels to me that when you turn around to a political organization whose bread and butter is discussing political issues and tell it that you can't discuss that, that's a bit of a red rag to a ball, in my, in my opinion. And I can understand why people are becoming agitated and not being able to speak up on this. I mean, so we've spoken about anti-Semitism. Let's, let's broaden that out. And, and it's, I say that because I know people rightly get angry when people go anti-racism uh, talk about anti-semitism then then start talking about other forms of racism but mm. we've spoken about anti-racism in its own right in its own terms and you very eloquently said that as well as anti-semitism a recent report came out from the labor muslim network which was pretty grim in terms of how muslim labor members feel about the extent of islamophobia in the party and the way it's not dealt with and i'm also interested as a black labor mp about anti-black racism within the Labour Party. I mean, the recent leaked report, um, which had some gruesome um, fight, gruesome messages from Labour Party staff about black politicians, including yourself. Mm. I mean, what do you think about, you know, Islamophobia, that report, but also your own lived experiences as a, as a, as a black Labour MP? Um. So I've been quite clear about this. I, I get quite irate um, about members of the party and the PLP who sit and have spoken for the last five years about the once proud history of the Labour Party as an anti-racist organisation and political party. It's rubbish. Um, and it's rubbish because structural racism is a factor. 
And the HRC report, and I think the thing that so many people welcomed about this report was that it gave a template for the Labour Party on how it could deal with not just structural anti-racism, um, but also uh, other structural forms of racism, including Islamophobia and anti-black racism. Uh, and I think if the leadership of the party doesn't want to face further accusations of there being a hierarchy of racism, uh, then it needs to understand that it will need to act on all of them. And at the present, I understand as a black MP um, and like many other black members and many other Muslim members and observers of our party, they will probably be thinking that that isn't quite the case at the moment. So I think it's incumbent upon us as a party and the leadership to show that that isn't the case and that actually all forms of racism will be challenged robustly. I don't want to see a hierarchy of racism because ultimately I know that um, you know black people will lose out in that hierarchy. So it's it's incumbent upon the leadership to show that actually um, we will tackle all forms. And I I, give, I tell you what, um, if we don't do that, um, if we don't if we do allow our party to basically say we will we will in effect you know potentially throw thousands of people out the party, which is something that's been said about. Uh, the response from many members and CLPs to the situation over Jeremy Corbyn uh, and the issue of anti-Semitism. Uh, if, uh, if we don't get this right, then it will look very much to many people um, that this, this is a party which does have a hierarchy of racism. And I think that will be tragic for the Labour Party, especially as we go into a period with this government, you know, an authoritarian nationalist government just about to deport 50 people off the back of at the Windrush scandal, you know, it's a smashing of human rights of common decency, and they're doing that openly. It puts us on thin ice to be able to stand up robustly and challenge this government, which is what people, I think the vast majority of people in this country expect the Labour Party and Keir Starmer, someone who stood up for human rights to do. And I think it becomes more difficult if internally it looks like, uh, you know, if you're Muslim or you're black, then your concerns and the racisms that affect you uh, are in some way uh, lesser <laughs> than than um, than other forms of racism, and that would be tragic for the Labour Party if that happened. So Keir Starmer won by landslides uh, in the leadership election a few months ago, and part of his pitch was the so-called ten pledges, which uh, included uh, hiking taxes on the rich and big business to pay for public investment green industrial revolution at the core of everything Labour did, the scrapping of tuition fees, uh, common ownership. Think on a technicality, he might have, that might have been framed in a way to uh, to avoid being uh, uh, called out on specifics. Um, there's a cat yowling behind me who's who's just trying to, trying to really emphasize the points I'm making. Yeah, I mean, it had a range of, you know, no illegal wars, getting rid of detention centres, Policy is actually long associated with the left. Do you, do you think? Do you think the leadership are sticking to those ten pledges? And how do you th how how are the arguments made that those ten pledges, which were obviously before as well a a, a crisis which demands even more radical answers, had begun? How how do we how do be how confident are you that a radical prospectus that most members want, however they vote in the leadership election, is still in play in the Labour Party? I think my main concern, rather than go into each individual um, promise uh, or pledge that, that was made by Keir, I think you have to look at you have to look at a number of other things, which is what is the shadow uh, front bench response been to issues around those areas? Um, 
and also as well the the, the the shape and scale of commitment that they're given giving in various policy areas so for example let's talk about um covid and the response um in terms of building back better we've had the green industrial uh, strategy that's been brought out by or the, the the green recovery that's been brought out by ed Midaband and annalise dodds and i think to myself well that's that's not a bad document you read it and 30 billion pounds of extra funding compared to the kind of 12 billion pounds much of that rehashed that the government was offering that's a substantial a substantive increase but my problem is it's the detail and it almost feels like those 10 pledges were just kind of to it feels like to park off uh, a certain level of criticism or doubt that people may have had but the reality is when you look at the scale of the challenge the transformative uh, the, the transformative challenge that we have before us because of the various cliff edges that we face the climate crisis surveillance capitalism the rise of tech companies you know growing inequality um ecological collapse all of these issues they require transformative economic and social responses now off the back of the pandemic you would have thought that there was an opportunity i mean the research that we did with myself and caroline lucas as part of the green new deal for a uh, an investigation called Reset showed that the public are way ahead. There is so much political space for political parties to move into to bring in policies which are quite radical and quite transformative. There is a consensus there for them. We can see that and most people understand that and yet we seem very timid. So whilst it is a, a vast improvement on the Green Recovery Plan as an example of where the government is, it's still not fully integrated. It's still not transformational. We're talking about 400,000 jobs. This is an existential threat, the climate crisis that's coming up us. I just don't think 30 billion pounds um, is, you know, it's, it's simply not on the scale that's required. And if you can see that in so many other areas, you just get the feeling that what we're doing is just enough to stay in, uh, just ahead of the curve, um, just enough to kind of honor some of the pledges. Some of them maybe will fall behind, but just enough. And, and that isn't good enough, not, not with the scale of the challenge that confronts us. And so it feels to me that the job of the front bench, the job of the leader of the Labour Party, is to convince others that actually what they're talking about is in their interest as well, and, and to lead on that. And it feels that what we're doing is looking where the kind of middle ground is, triangulation, if you like, and trying to kind of say something which just seems a little bit better than where these guys are but not quite as transformative as, as was necessary. And, and, I, and I think that's gonna be problematic because I can't see uh, the need for transformational change to, to get to improve, you know, whether that's in our democracy, the crisis of democracy within our, own, within our own constitution, globally, international institutions, or whether it's in the economy, the climate crisis, that, transform that demand for transformational change isn't gonna go. So uh, that's where I'm disappointed. And I think, you know, look, if you go to those 10 pledges, you could probably find someone from the front bench will say, hey, we did this, we did that. That's within the parameters of those pledges. Yes, I think they should be seen as a guidance. And I think actually, as we go further and further, we'll begin to see more of a shape take, take, take more of a shape and a form take place as to where the front bench is going to be. I think they're going to need to be constantly pushed. That's the part of the left that I'm trying to inhabit, which is trying to pull, if you want, Keir and the front bench into that position rather than kind of hit them with a stick and and beat them although there are some people that think that's the right way forward but that's the position that i find myself i'm not going to become an apologist for um useless policies or policies which don't go far enough but i will constantly try to encourage them to do better to think bigger 
to be more transformative. Um, so yeah, I, I'd say as, as the jury's out at the moment. I understand some people are saying that, well, you're, you're hedging your bets there. But, you know, look, the Labour Party is the, is the main vehicle for transformative change in this country in 2024. And that's just, you know, we need a Labour government or a Labour-led government in 2024. Uh, if that's the case, then what's the point of leaving? What's the point of just hitting the front bench with a stick? I still feel that you need to engage with them and to push them and to cajole them and to move them into that place. That's where I am. And, you know, if that changes in a year or two's time where I just give up, then, then you know, you'll be the first to know I mean. But at the moment, it's about trying to make sure they understand that actually there is no route to power, no route to meaningful power in 2024, mm. unless you're going to have those transformative policies. And, and, and at, at present, they're, they're, they're falling short. I mean, before I ask you some of the, just some policy stuff and, and also about electoral reform, which I know you're passionate about, what I'm picking up from some, without getting to intra-Labour Party stuff, beef, uh, which we're all trapped in for the rest of our lives at Sometimes Field, but I'm getting off from some of the grassroots that they feel that there isn't leadership being offered collectively by the left MPs, the socialist campaign group, for those who don't know what it is, it's the it's kind of caucus of the of the left of of a big chunk of the left wing Labour MPs, and people feel it's quite fragmented that there isn't a kind of coherent leadership being offered to the grassroots, which is saying, you know, here are the big issues that we want to pressure the leadership on. Here are the big issues we want to put on the agenda. So come and support us in doing that. It feels like everyone's doing their own thing, and I think that's leaving a lot of the grassroots feeling a bit lost, feeling. Yeah direction as you can see on twitter you know look people have gone through the trauma of the general election mm. the trauma of the leadership election and then the trauma of the world falling apart yeah. and you know we haven't been able to obviously meet up and go through some of those traumas and i think the online space isn't healthy but what would maybe make it better is if left mps together came up with a strategy and direction and it just doesn't seem to be there that's what people think anyway well, I mean, I think there's a couple of things in there to unpack. First of all, the left, the left, like the Labour Party, is is a, is a is a broad beast, and you know there are differences of opinion on the right, right way forward. Now, there are some people who want to focus on a very specific set of internal issues um, because they believe, on a point of principle, that this has to be this has to be fought out to the bitter end. And and there are others who have one foot in there and maybe one foot in looking wide, you know, further afield. Um, I personally think that one of the problems that we have um, on the left is a culture of acknowledging our differences, but yet also working out what it is that unites us, what we agree on, and working on those together. And I think it's perfectly acceptable. You know, we have been, you know, the last five years, we had almost um, a, a kind of hegemonic left um, under the leadership of Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell which brought together a vast swathe of, of from you know from the soft left all the way through to the the heart to the what you would call the left or the hard left of the party or the orthodox left of the party and that grouping now outside of corbyn's leadership and losing the the leadership um election um to Keir means that it's fragmenting but it doesn't have to fragment and dissipate and go in every direction and it doesn't have to come under the leadership of one individual or a collective uh, or a collective of, of the campaign group. What you can see is, what you need to see is that A, people can lead themselves, people can find their own inspiration, their own issues, work with others, 
but also acknowledge that there are going to be different people that are going to lead on different things. Um, and ultimately, I think it's about understanding we can bring that together as a collective. Now, some people are, you know, if you want, some people just want some kind of monolithic left that comes under a big, but if you understand the nature of politics, the nature of the left, people have different political priorities. People have differences of opinion on how you get from A to B, on what B even looks like. So it's about, well, acknowledging, well, do, can we agree on A? And can we agree on, on this bit? Can we agree on, yes, we can. Well, that's brilliant. We, we can do this together. I don't agree with you on this. Well, that's fine. Will you find someone else that agrees with you on that? And that's a culture that we don't have because what we end up doing is denouncing people who don't agree with every single bit uh, of, our, uh, of, our, of, our, of our agenda, our political agenda or, or analysis. And that's wrong because ultimately we end up turning on each other. So I, I personally think I don't have an issue with the fact that the left is fragmenting. In fact, it was almost inevitable after we lost the leadership. And I think you just have to embrace that, but find a culture, which is what the Love Socialism launch was about, which is about saying we're not a new faction, we're just a different culture, a different way of doing things. There are people in Love Socialism who on some things I fundamentally disagree with, but on others I fundamentally agree with. So I work with them where I can on those issues that matter, and I can work with them on, on matters that we disagree with, we disagree with respectfully, and we do our own thing, and we say our own thing, and we organize in our own way. That's the way that we're, the only way we're going to be able to come together, build a culture that allows us to take on, you know, these massive challenges that are confronting us. And the clock's ticking down in terms of the climate crisis, in terms of, you know, the vast inequalities of wealth and power that are destroying our society, our global, our global economy, global democracies, and so on. So, in, to my mind, I get that frustration. But it's just having a more flexible approach to how you're going to take to campaigning and saying, well, okay, we're in this group and we're going to do what we need to do and say what we need to say. And we'll work with others that agree with us on this and others that don't, well, fine, you do your thing. But I'm not going to get caught up in this whole, there isn't any, there's plenty of leadership, but people need to look to themselves for leadership and then to work with others. Uh, and, you know, leaders would, leaders would arise, people will show leadership. Um, I just don't think we should obsess about having this monolithic structure which is the left it, it just it just does not how we roll acknowledge your weaknesses and turn them into strengths yeah i mean I, I, i've asked pair on patreon which is uh funding this channel thank you for your support keep it coming um but jake garlic asked what are the aims of love socialism for this parliament so love socialism is this grouping of of uh of mps uh which those straddle what would be known as the campaign group left and also the so-called soft left. I think that's probably mm. reasonable to say that. Yeah. But yeah. What, what, yeah. So you're saying what are the aims? So the aims, aims to develop a different culture of the left, One, which is pretty much on what I just touched on then in terms of acknowledging that there are differences, that we can work together um, and, and just working on the, acknowledging those differences and working on our similar, where we have similarities. The second is acknowledging that the culture war, identity, um, intersectionality isn't going away and it has to be tackled head on and we have to get our house in order on that and be in a good place because otherwise you know we will see the Tories constantly and the right uh the you know the kind of alt-right and others uh, we will see them poking that stick into us and us reacting and responding in the same way we've got to we've got to find a far better position to being and a part of that means working with people outside of the Labour Party uh, in various other anti-racism groups, uh, different uh, different collectives, other organisations, Black Lives Matter, others, working to, co to to make sure we can communicate the fact that challenging 
what this kind of right-wing authoritarian government and the people behind them and around them are saying on everything from migration, immigrants, uh, uh, you know, culture, history, all of these issues, you know, trans issues, all of these issues, we need to have a, a robust position or robust uh, approach where we can argue the case and say and win and win the argument and and convey that to the public on mass. So I think that's that's one of the things that we've understood. You can't run away from this fight and you can't triangulate on it. You can't hope it goes away. They won't let it go away. So you've got to deal with this. It's a it's a it's a it's a fundamental fault line through politics and through our society. And it's not going anywhere because the right have decided that this is where they want to attack, where they want to probe. So we've got to get our own house on. That's the the second thing. And the third is 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 is, is constitutional. Uh, radical constitutional change, not just PR, as important as that is, but it's understanding that the last 40 years, if you understand anything about neoliberal economic policies and neoliberalism, it is highly anti-democratic. It erodes capital, it erodes democracy, it undermines uh, liberal institutions, if you want to call them that, or institutions which can block the power of vested interest in capital and, uh, and, and regulate that society on a national and international level. And what we've got to do is think is to fit, work out new institutions, the reform of the current ones, if if some of them are fit for purpose in the 21st century, and to work out a radical constitutional settlement in this country. Because after Brexit, it's incre looking increasingly like that the United Kingdom could fragment. Well, what do we want that to look like? So it's about us actually going onto the front foot on this, rather than just accepting the situation that well it's been this way for however many hundred years or 50 years 60 years that's the way it is we need to actively have a position on this and actively campaign for that change because otherwise we're just going around in circles extinction rebellion have realized that they understand that you know democracy shouldn't be voting to destroy their own ecosystem shouldn't be just voting to destroy the environment so something there is a disconnect and it's our democracy we need to deepen it we need more of it and we need it more and, and that ultimately is another big part of um of open of love socialism and i think when you take all those bits together the culture uh the radical kind of democratic approach and uh the intersectionalism you see three strands of i think uh, a political movement which a lot of people will, will will think yeah this is this needs to happen this is where we are we don't have all the answers but i think out there broadly speaking people will come to um, a position uh, on their own terms which i think will will probably intersect with where we are as well as a as a as an outfit it's an umbrella group if you want to call it that a way of doing politics sounds that it sounds up in the air i know it's that you want it when people want it to be like i want it to be this and you but actually some of it is about a culture some of it is about intersectionism and some of it is about you know that radical democracy and those are our priorities at the moment as we see as we see as being really important so, so before i ask you about constitutional stuff one thing that it will giddy anthony says i'd like to know about why the parliamentary apostasy in the run-up to the 2017 election has been airbrushed from history? Why does the left have nothing to say about Man, Hurry and Austin being elevated to Ermine by Boris Johnson? And just following on from that, there are reports that those Labour MPs who defected to Change UK slash the Liberal Democrats, they could be welcomed back into the Labour Party. What are your thoughts? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Um, well, I have to admit, when I read the two articles back to back, one from a shadow from a shadow front bencher saying thousands of members could be kicked out of the party and another saying people like Mike Gates and others who stood against Labour uh, in the last election I, you know basically uh, anyway I I, 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 I I find that very difficult look I'm I think there is a place for forgiveness there is a place to allow people who have done something like that to come back into the party at some point I just think now is way too soon um you know are there exceptions to people who've left but didn't stand against labor yes but look i'm someone who believes in progressive alliances you know i back i know I, i've given tacit support to people like the guildford seven i think it's the guildford seven or the guildford four but a group of people who basically you know got together and got their labor party to to to, to try to stand down against to have a an nhs party candidate to stand against Jeremy Hunt back in 2017. Many of them were expelled from the party. I thought that was wrong. Uh, and the reason I, I, I raised that is the fact that, you know, there are there are times where I think it's important that Labour, I think, shouldn't. I know we have to at the moment, according to the rule book, but I think that should be changed so that, um, you know, you can have other political parties stand in those constituencies to deny the Tories a majority. That's got to be the aim of the game in 2024. We'll see if that happens. But I think given what they did over those past five years, the undermining that they took part in, and then the defection um, and standing against Labour candidates, you know, City of London, arguably, you know, Labour could have taken that seat. Uh, just one example. So I think I, I, I have, you know, grave reservations about the fact that so soon after doing what they did, some of these people will be considered to be coming back into the party. I'm, I'm deeply uncomfortable with that. Constitutional stuff. I mean, you support PR. Um, I mean, just maybe just flesh out a little bit because some people will go, look, come on, is this a priority? Their country's in crisis. People are struck, you know, poverty. There's a report out this week yeah. about surging poverty because of the pandemic. There's a growing housing crisis, the threat of austerity, public sector workers, many of them will have, you know, pay freezes. Those are the things the left should be talking about. When you knock on doors, which you can't do at the moment because there's a pandemic, people aren't going, well, do you know what? Bloody constitution. So how do you make it relevant and how do you make it something that connects to those wider issues? Well, first of all, I think it's about being strategic and understanding that we have, I mean, it's a two sides to this. First of all, we, from a Labour Party perspective, 
we have a political system which is overwhelmingly stacked against us. If you're a Liberal Democrat or agree even more, the current first past the post uh, system overwhelmingly favours the Tories. That's why they and their friends in the media don't want Labour uh, or anyone else to talk about this. They want this to be a kind of sideshow for the Liberal Democrats. They're quite happy with the system. That should tell you all you need to know about the system. Um, secondly, it's you know outside the Labour Party, PR is good for democracy. Um, it, it, it for a mature democracy, definitely, because it actually means that people's votes matter, more people's votes matter. For the vast majority of people, overwhelming a number of votes in this country, their vote means literally nothing because they don't live in a marginal, uh, and therefore uh, that means that their vote, in many ways, whilst never wasted, doesn't have the impact that it should. But a more proportionate system, it does. But here's the other thing. It develops a culture which is collaborative, which I think will benefit parties of the left and the center um, in a way which we have we don't have in this uh, this uh, country in my own city of Norwich you know the Tories regularly come second place um, to Labour and yet they don't have one single councillor uh, to represent them those voters 30,000 odd voters don't have one single councillor Tory councillor to vote them on the city council and what happens is you get Labour and the Greens bickering with each other over either personality or quite minor issues in my opinion um, so actually, having uh, you know having proper representation on that council, as an example, would mean I think that Labour and the Greens would end up working together far more often. There would be a culture of cooperation. First past the post develops a culture of winner takes all, and that isn't conducive to people working together. You look at Jacinda Ahern in New Zealand under PR because they have that culture, that political culture that we in Love Socialism are trying to you know encourage and get off the ground on the left. She won outright and she still reached out to the Greens to form a government because she understood that it would be a better government if it had a wider point of view, a wider kind of impact into, into how it was thinking and working and operating new ideas. And I just think it's about a completely different political culture. So how did you sell that to people? Well, look, if you think about the last hundred years in this country, out of 26 general elections, I think the Labour Party has won just eight. And I think that gives you an idea, you know, and that was with 1945, when we made all those fantastic changes, many of which now have been wiped out or are being wiped out after 40 years of hard right economic dogma. So this is a strategic issue, you know, because ultimately, if you look at the past century, it was a Tory century on a, on a in many ways, on a very, very uh, uh, rigid electoral system, which favoured them. And this is about saying, well, let's have a better uh, more engaging, more proportional democratic system, which will mean that the popular vote in this country actually means that people will probably see a, a larger number of centre, centre-left parties come together to work together to form governments. It's not a silver bullet, it's not perfect, but it's not just about PR, Owen, that's the thing. I think that's an important part of it, but it's also about the constitution. It's also about you know radical devolution in, in England as well, not just in Scotland, and Wales, I mean, it's looking increasingly difficult to see how the United Kingdom will hold together without some radical overhaul of our constitution, bringing it into the 21st century. The fact that we still have a non-elected chamber based on patronage and the clergy, for crying out loud, um, deciding uh, or helping to decide what policies go through in this country, legislating for policy, is, is beyond the pale. So actually, it is important that we take a step back. I'm still going to be talking about the climate crisis, still going to be talking about poverty, still going to be talking about racism uh, that, that takes place in this country and from this government. But at the same time, overarching all of that 
is this issue of political culture, uh, proportionality in the voting system, and a radical constitutional change to make this country, to brag it, not into the 20th century, into the 21st century. We've still got a 19th century unwritten constitution. So, you know, I, I, I think for most people, you know, when they, you talk to them on the doorstep, explain this, you say, look, we've got lots of positions on policies. We want to talk about those as well, but we can't get our house in order. We will never have a democracy which, which is uh, fit for purpose unless we can fix the broken engine underneath it. And then that's the way I see this. You know, the chassis might look nice and we could talk about, well, I don't like that door. I don't like that color. But if the engine is kaput, then you're not going to go very far. And I think that's how you have to explain it to people. And I think Brexit has shown people what a mess this country is politically. Now you've got Boris Johnson and his government, one of the most right wing governments in history, the mess they've made of COVID-19. You know, the potential for a no deal. And if we do come out, nonetheless, it's still going to have massive implications on our economy. And people are thinking to themselves, I didn't vote for this. I didn't want this. And yet it's happening. So I, I feel that there is, there is a way for Labour to talk about this, to be radical and to say, actually, it's about bringing, bringing this country into the 21st century and giving us a democracy that's fit for purpose. Uh, and, and ultimately, I don't see another way of us being able to do that when you've got a system which at the moment is, is, is fixed in the interests of the Conservative Party and their vested interests. That has to change. Just lastly, because I know we're running out of time, but... Brexit, the B word, mm. which used to be the only thing we spoke about before coronavirus <laughs> came along. Um, there are reports that Labour might whip its MPs to vote for Boris Johnson's deal, which I do, honestly, it's quite funny, come on. I mean, it isn't funny in terms of the situation we're in, but I mean, it is quite funny that there was this whole, Jeremy Corbyn's a Brexiteer, Jeremy Corbyn's a Brexiteer for trying to come up with a soft <laughs> Brexit deal. And then there's that faction... Some of that faction are now going to go, we must vote for Boris Johnson's hard Brexit deal. What are you going to do? Are you going to vote for it? Probably not, no. And I think there are people who saying, oh, here he goes again. He wants to bang on about Brexit. I, to be quite frank, I was hoping I could get through never mentioning the word Brexit again the rest of my Sorry. political career. Um, <laughs> um, but you can't. And I'll tell you why. Whatever, for those people, for some you know, of my of my comrades and friends on the left who thought that you know, we were just doing this either to kind of undermine Jeremy or because we were fixated on the EU. It was never, it was never even those. Uh, you know, it was, it was about lesser, a lesser of two evils. But the reality is, this deal that's going to come, if it comes before Parliament, this deal is a framework deal. The reason they've been taking so long and gone to the wire on the Northern Irish border is because it's about a regulatory realignment. Uh, and if you've been listening to Boris Johnson and the ERG and all the other right-wingers inside the Tory party, all the other Eurosceptics, their big hate about the EU, apart from human rights and the human rights legislation that's in there, their big beef was on, uh, was on basically regulation. And the reason Johnson and that have gone to the wire is because this deal, this framework deal, so it's only kind of like kind of, uh, you know, a patchwork of bits, gives you an idea of where it's going. This framework deal um, will lock us into a regulatory environment or a regulatory ability for government ministers to then be able to make deals with the rest of the world, including the United States, uh, uh, and have some kind of trading relationship with Europe. And, and, and the problem is that, that they are all about deregulation. They're all about undermining environmental protections, all about undermining worker protections, um, consumer protections. And that's what they need. That's why it is going to the wire. That's why Northern Ireland has become so important because they want to be able to do a trade deal with their mates in the US. Now, people say, well, you've got Joe Biden now. It's all fine. No, it isn't. He rubber stamps it. And anyway, it's the lobbyists. 
it's the it's the neoliberal institutions in America uh, who will be driving that trade deal. Joe Biden is still fundamentally, you know, in terms of trade, in terms of you know, economically speaking, way to the right of where uh, many of the people in my own party and much of the people in this country are economically and in trade terms. So, I mean, we can't rely on that. So, ultimately, if you understand this legislation as being about that, why on earth would you vote for it when there are massive holes and basically which allow the government to fill it in over the next four or five years as they probably see fit? They hardly got a healthy respect for parliamentary democracy, as we've seen. And lock Labour in for the next 10 to 15 years when these trade deals are signed, which is the kind of average lifespan of a trade deal. Why would you vote for that? It takes away your voice to be able to critique and criticize it. And all the Tories turn around to you and say is, you voted for this. So from my perspective, you know, if I'm being consistent, you know, I, don't, I can't see myself voting for this. I, I, I'm either going to have to kind of take a principled abstention, which I don't really want to do, or vote against it. Now, I understand people say, you vote against it. You are, you know, potentially inviting in no deal. Well, that's not going to happen. And that's a that's a that's a position that I may be able to take and know that it won't happen. But, you know, for the Labour Party, I'm hoping we can come to our senses on this and at least at least abstain, at least say, listen, we understand you've got the numbers. You can get this through. You own it. You put it through. We'll abstain and we'll critique. But you own this. Labour Party doesn't want to touch this, in my opinion, because ultimately what you're voting for is something which goes against everything most of us in this party uh, believe is the right way to address trade issues, the environment, workers' rights, and all the other things that regulation can, can bring in a civilized democracy and economy. Um, so, you know, I know people's the last thing people want to kind of be brought back up again, but it's really important because this is going to last, you know, this the implications of this will last for 10 or 15 years. You'd like to think there'll be another Labour government in that time. Our hands will be tied by much of the, many, many of the changes that are made, many of the deals that are struck uh, with uh, those countries. So it's about taking a pragmatic stand and saying, you know what, you own this. We're going to sit back and we're going to criticize it. We don't want no deal, but this is the deal that you've cooked up. You own it, Boris Johnson. And, and, and that's pretty much where I sit at this at the moment. I can't see myself voting for it. Very lastly, give me a pithy answer to this. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, not, not I like your eloquent thought-out answers. That was not a critique. It wasn't a little passive. You ask my wife, I bang on. She, she falls asleep when I'm talking. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you do sometimes. Um, but so do I. That's fine. That's something we have in common. People, it is a, it's a difficult time. People are of a progressive inclination, often despairing about the future of the country and the world. What gives you hope? What's your most hopeful thing? that you can impart upon the people watching this so they don't just think? Um, people. Um, I, I've, just, I've just started to read and I finished the, the BBC miniseries, The Wretched uh, or Les Miserables. Um, people, that's the thing that comes out of this for me. The, 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 the ability for people to rise to a challenge, to do what's right, to do what's necessary, to, to sacrifice themselves, quite frankly. Um, and that there will always be people who are going to do what they think is in their interests. They will oppress, uh, they will exploit. But there have always been people throughout history who have fought that and tried to rise uh, to give us the chances that we have in life now. We stand on the, the shoulders of giants and there will be other giants um, who come along. There will be other social movements. People will prevail. And I think, 
you know, some, you know, it's all these cliches. It's darkest before the dawn. But I genuinely feel that, that this is why, you know, this is why I'm banging on about democracy and deepening it and broadening it. It's because we have to believe and trust in people and the inherent goodness of people and decency of human beings. And I think democracy done properly can bring that out. So that's why I'm not despairing yet. I, I, I do get depressed about the rate of knots at which the climate crisis is unfolding, about what we're doing to uh, our ecology, about the structural things which stop that from, from changing. But I do have faith in people. And I think, you know, I look at my daughter, I look at uh, the people, my friends, I look at the way that people responded to COVID-19. Uh, and it's like, it's reaffirmed my faith in people. That's why I have hope for the future. And that's why, you know, I'm banging on about democracy a lot. We have to give power to people uh, and they will do the right thing. That was very nice, Clive. I, <laughs> I needed that. I need oh. a life raft. A life raft. And I've clambered onto that life raft and I'm not going anywhere. So There's room you. on the life raft for you, Owen. Oh, that's very generous. Uh, it's not going to be like the end of Titanic where I'm Jack and I, 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 I just... <laughs> she kills him. She <laughs> that's it best, manslaughter. <laughs> she killed him. Um, so don't... Yeah, don't, don't do that. And then go... Clive, you massive legend. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Owen. It's been a pleasure to come on to your new programme. Thank you very much. And I will see you soon. In a bit. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. If you do, you can support us on patreon.com forward slash owenjones84 or use the support function in the podcast description. Whatever you do, please give us five stars. Just helps get the word out. And subscribe. And I will speak to you soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.